Ermer, and this is episode 61. And uh, today I'm doing uh, part three of my series, Remembering Charlie Watts. And uh, what a great uh, group of guests I have today with me. Uh, this is exciting. We've been trying to put this together for some time. And I'm very, very happy to tell you that today with me, I have Jim Keltner, uh, Vinnie Kalyuta, Pete Thomas. So I asked that, Vinnie Kalyuta, Vinnie Kalyuta. Uh, Pete Thomas, Anton Fig, and Aaron Comis. And uh, they're all in the green room right now. It's very exciting. Um, so as I say, this is, if you, if you haven't seen the other two segments, I, I encourage you to please watch them, parts one and two of, of uh, Remembering Charlie Watts with a great assortment of guests on each show. And uh, thanks to everybody who's been watching all along. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, to my podcasts, um, and you know for continuing to watch and support. So this is really great. Uh, I'm so glad to have these guys. We're, we're not doing this live today. We're doing this taped so that I can uh, protect the innocent or protect the guilty, as it were. So I guess uh, without further ado, the, uh, the natives are getting a little restless. So I'm going to let them all into the room. All right. And uh, gentlemen, welcome. And I'm, I'm going to introduce you all one by one. And there's Jim Keltner. Hi. Aaron, Aaron Comis. Hey. Anton Fig. Vinnie Kalayuda. And I don't know where Pete Thomas went. He's he, he's disappeared. He failed. Well, oh, no. who's there gonna he set is. the tone? Who's gonna set there's, the tone? Is it gonna be serious or funny? Pete. <laughs> <laughs> there's Pete Thomas. Okay. Pete wanted to have a grand entrance, and, and I can't fault him for that, right? <laughs> I just, I had to go and get my daughter because she's a drummer as well. Yes, so yeah. She's, she's just, uh, there she is. She's just listening in. Oh, this is great. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, Vinny, to answer your question, it's going to be fun. We're just going it, to, it's, we're going to be very fun and probably borderline silly, so. <laughs> so I, the, the way I've done these in the past is I've just kind of had my guests talk about Charlie, tell a story or two or three. And, uh, you know, in fact, Vinny, let's start with you because I saw you posted something on Instagram not long ago, a pair of yeah. Charlie sticks that he gave mm -hmm. to you at a Herbie Hancock show. Uh, almost. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't at a Herbie Hancock show, but, um, you know, I, I of all of us probably have the least amount of, of uh, Charlie stories, but but just just going with the sticks. Actually, I'll I'll, I'll go backwards and and um and just and just a little backstory is that that I actually met Charlie. Uh, the first time I had met him was at a Stones rehearsal. Um, <laughs> rehearsal. Rehearsing. <laughs> Re rehearsing. <laughs> and uh we're, we're not gonna open that one up, right? Or maybe no, later. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So so um I, I actually had the privilege to be invited to Stone's rehearsal um through a friend of mine who was the uh one of the 
one of the crew members and uh, that, that that I was working with as well. So went to the rehearsal and uh, you know and, and and I met Charlie. You know, said hello to everybody and and uh, and he just just the 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 most the greatest gentleman that you could ever want to meet. He's just a true gentleman, you know. And so we were just talking and blah 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 and uh, small talk, small talk, and that was it. And then and then um, so. So I went to uh, a Stone show. I, I mean, I'd seen them several times live, but but then after I met Charlie, I went to. Um, they had a show in San Diego at uh, Petco Arena, and it was amazing because you know just just um, I mean, <laughs> just going to the show. You know, getting closer and closer to the arena and, 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 you know, as you're approaching the show with more and more, it became like the whole town was the town of Rolling Stone township of Rolling Stones. Yeah. You know, it was like, it reminded me almost of almost on a level of going to a dead show, you know, where it's uh, there's caravans blocking the highway for miles before you get to the gig. So, um, and, and so, so it went and the show was amazing. And, um, you know the, the 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 front of house uh, engineer did an uh, incredible job on on how Charlie sounded. I mean, he you know Charlie was so relaxed when he played. He was very very relaxed, um, and 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 but but because of the touch that he had, uh, he 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 was able to make his drums sound huge, um, as well as the the front of house engineer. But but you know it takes two to tango. You know what I mean? It's it's like, you know, it has to do with, with with the touch and the drums and and the way you play them as well as the person who's amplifying them. So, um, but in anyway, what happened was, uh, you know, after that that sh- show, um, I was going to go and meet Charlie, and then Charlie got sidetracked with something, and then they had to leave, and so Charlie. Uh, Charlie's tech came out and was telling me that he felt so bad that he didn't get a chance to say hi to me that he brought me a pair of his sticks. Oh, and I think wow. it was the sticks that he used on the gig. In fact, I'm almost positive they were, and they were, you know, kind of beat up. And so I, you know, I still have them obviously. And I treasure them. And I have a pair of Ringo sticks as well. I'm going to just, uh, go a little ch- tangential to Ringo here, which, which, you know, I was, um, so, so those two guys, right. Are really, really uh, central to a huge explosive kind of cataclysmic change that happened in pop music that influenced so many of us. And I'll take the Liberty to speak for all of us, you know, uh, if you don't mind, and I'm Absolutely. sorry if I'm rambling too much, but this, this is kind of all I got. So I'm just going to let it go, put a quarter in me. So, <laughs> You know, so just let me have have it for for a few minutes, gentlemen, because <laughs> it's all I got. So, so uh, <laughs> you know, so I got got a pair of Ringo sticks, and what had happened was those sticks. I got a chance to, you know, Jim was talking about, and he'll, I'm sure he'll he'll tell us uh, uh, what a good friend he is of Ringo's, which is a huge privilege, obviously mutually. So. Uh, when I was on tour a few years back uh, in Europe with Jeff Beck, we played a gig in Amsterdam at a festival. 
it just so happens that Ringo was playing there. And so they, you know, Greg, uh, you know, Bissonette and Lukather, they were all on, on the band. And so <clears throat> they found me and they were saying, oh, you know, you got to come and sit in on the, on the last tune. You got to come and sit in. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. You know, I, I, nah. So now you got to do it. So we were going to leave. And so I was texting, I don't know if it was Luke or Greg. Anyway, I was texting, I said, we're leaving, man. You know, the bus is going. And so I'm sorry. What happened? We couldn't go because the bus driver lost the keys. <laughs> he lost the keys to the bus. So we were stuck. So yeah, happy accident, right? So it turns out I go and and they call me up on the stage and <clears throat> a little help from my friends. So Ringo gets up and goes in the front. They drag me and I sit on Ringo's drums and I'm there. There's Biss next to me and I'm playing and Ringo's singing and I'm freaking out. I'm thinking this is not happening. It is happening. I'm playing Ringo's drums, playing a little help from my friends. You know, it, you know, give peace a chance. And it was the last. And they ran off and 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 it was like here, take the sticks. I took the sticks that were on the drums that Ringo left up there. And so I have those two that I actually used after he used them that I got to sit in with. And it was like one of the highlights of my life. I mean, my hair on my arms is standing up on end, just thinking about that, you know, that experience. So, you know, the only thing that has to do with Charlie is the fact that I have Charlie sticks as well, <laughs> but I didn't use them. He just gave them to me. And, and they were, you know, and so those two pairs of sticks occupy a place of, in a, a very safe zone in, uh, in, in my house and a, and a very special place in my heart, as you can imagine. So Charlie, being the gentleman that he was, said, you know, please give him these sticks. Oh, and and it was just, it was just the most beautiful gesture that, yeah, you know, that anybody could have done. And so it's just like, you know, what a gentleman, you know, he... Wow. And, and, you know, and he, he loved jazz music and he, he was, uh, you know, a jazz drummer. And it's amazing to see how many of those guys came from that sensibility, but, but you can certainly tell in, in their playing. And um, yeah. So, you know, God bless Charlie Watts, man. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm honored to have had those, uh, you know, interactions with him, you know, yeah. while he was here. Yep. That's, so that's awesome, my Charlie man. stories, you know? Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, you only have to meet him one time to, to feel what you felt, you know, that, 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 yeah. that presence that he had, that gentleman, like sincere, uh, just warmth, you know, that just exuded from him. Um, amazing. Yeah, amazing. I find, I find that, that the greatest and the most influential, I mean, Elvin was like that. Elvin was the, just like a, you know, like a Buddha, you know, yeah. he, he was yeah. just the heart of gold. So and and Charlie, you know, they're they're all they're all like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Who wants to? Who wants to? Well, you know, was, Charlie. Charlie said that um, he had one of. I think he has uh, Elvin's um, green emerald kit, the Gretsch yeah. kit. Oh, he's got a bunch, Anton. Yeah. You know, you know, over at Maxwell's in New York, right? Have you been up there where you've seen all those drums that that are up there? Like yeah. Elvin's yellow drums, and I think Morello's drums, and there's a bunch of kits up there that are of renown. Rumor has had it that that uh, they they may have been Charlie's that were just wow. on display there as a museum. That Charlie, I think, 
procured those drums? He definitely said that he, he told me that he had the green set for sure. So oh, I, know, okay. I know that one. Wow. And I did, the first time I met him, I think John was, or one of the first times was John with you. We went down to uh, the Blue Note. He was playing, he was doing his jazz gig. Yes. And, yeah. and you know, the funny thing with, with that was he, he came in all impeccably dressed. And, uh, yeah, that's it. It was from there. And yeah. um, oh, he great. walked in and he had this beautiful overcoat on. And he was just, like, very well dressed and, and, and wonderful and the gentleman that everyone knows him to be. And, um, and then he kind of, like, looked at us or he looked – Felt like he looked at me. He took the coat off and he just let it drop off on the floor, and it just it just fell on the floor. And he kind of looked at me again and then just walked away. And it was like as if he was saying, "Like this is all really nice, you know, but it really means nothing. It's just a material thing." Um, and uh, I, w- I was kind of sort of touched by that humanity of him. And then uh, he went and he he played the. Um, I saw the first set. And uh, and it was beautiful. He was such a such a lovely person. And you know, when you when you said how relaxed he was, I mean, I'm sure Jim has you know had an opportunity to see that up real close a lot. But um, he had that kind of for me, he had that sort of swinging thing that the old rock and roll drummers had, and and yet it was a very taut backbeat at the same time. So he held it on a short leash. Um, and it was it was tight, but it was very swinging and very relaxed. And I think that was like the real beauty in his playing. He never beat anyone over the head, you know. But it was yeah. so beautifully in time, and he held the band together. Pete That's and I were just we're, well yeah, we were talking about that when we were off off the air. Pete Thomas and I, and um, and I was just Anton. I was going to say I remember um, when I, I maybe I introduced you guys. I I. I thought you knew him before that, but I remember he knew you as being Blondie Chaplin's friend too. He right. said because Blondie was in the band at the time, and and he, I think he introduced. There was maybe there was somebody else there that he said, "This is Anton. He's he's Blondie's mate." You know, so you were in his eyes. I think you know you were you were a good guy because you knew Blondie. And, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, uh, and I think every time. After that, when when he'd do something in New York like the the premieres, he'd he'd ask me to get a hold of you, or he'd call you yeah. himself maybe to to invite you. You know, yeah, it was always a thrill to get like. Sometimes he would call up, and I would see the on the call uh, answering thing. It would say Rolling Stones, you know. So I knew it was his <laughs> official phone, and it was was a a major thrill to get one of those. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, funny. I know. Well, yeah, I've I've kept every one of his messages. Oh man, uh, I have a file wow. for them. Wow. Well, Jim, can you you mentioned earlier, you know, while we were off the air, that um, you met Charlie fifty years ago, seventy or seventy one? Yeah, seventy one. Seventy one. Maybe you could talk about that first time you met him, and and any any stories you want to I wish I, I, could, I I wish I could remember the time I met him but you know 1971 is is barely uh miraculous that I can even remember 71 at all uh I'm way older than all you guys so 1971 I remember it I, I confess and, <laughs> yeah, yeah well you know well, go ahead, it was uh I was in England and uh, for for I'm I'm not even sure what it was, but it was it was something great, you know. And I was just my head was in the clouds in those days. 
And uh, Charlie, uh, right away, wanted to talk about jazz. And he wanted to talk about Elvin. And, uh, and I told him, you know, Elvin was my biggest influence after, uh, you know, we had this whole conversation and, you know, like, and we all feel the same, basically. We're all, we're all uh, jazz guys, basically, in our, deep in our soul. Uh, but uh, that was the bonding that I had with Charlie. And then, uh, and then those other guys would always be coming around and uh, messing things up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, uh, but, you know, all these things that uh, Vinny was saying and, uh, and Anton was saying about Charlie being a gentleman, that's the biggest part that you remember about this guy. He was, uh, first of all, he was, he was, everything about him was classic. Uh, Cynthia just asked me a minute ago. She said, well, who is this? What? And I said, it's John de Christopher. John uh, is the Zildjian guy or used to be the Zildjian guy. I'm not sure what the situation is. And, not anymore, yeah. and uh, I said, you know, and Charlie was a Zildjian guy. Everything about Charlie Watts was, was classic. Everything about him, the way he, you know, the overcoats that he wore, the, the, uh, I found out just actually just recently because it never really mattered to me in those days. But uh, I found out just recently that he had all of his clothes tailor made. Um, you know, you you start to make a little money and uh, what do you do? What do you spend it on cars or this or that or whatever? With him, it was clothes. He would go to uh, what's the place uh, on Savile Row? Uh, the tailors that are on Savile Row. Yeah. I, when I was at Apple, I, I used to always, we'd go by it and I'd always say to myself, I'm going to go get a suit at Savile Row. I never did, unfortunately. But uh, but Charlie had most of his stuff done by the tailors there. And so that's why he always looked immaculate. It's just uh, everything about Charlie Watts was 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 like classy and and his love for jazz and then you'd see him playing with this band of scruffy cats you know that played out of tune and and on purpose you know the rolling stones you know they, they would not sound right if it was like perfect yeah. and, right so there you go and but charlie charlie uh was the engine was more than the engine he was he was and and keith and all of them have always said that and especially now they say it because they know, I mean, he was the soul. He was the heart and soul of the Rolling Stones. Uh, and they fought mightily to keep him in that band. You know, he was, he was going to leave many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, he thought, you know, well, I'm, now I'm just telling you all the stuff that you already know that he thought the band was never going to be anything that was never going to make it, uh, which is hilarious. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I had like actual Charlie Watts stories, but I just don't, I don't know if, if any of you guys have got personal stories, go ahead. Because all I can tell you is that, that I love this guy and, and he really, really liked me. 
he liked being around me and that always blew my mind. He loved and you, man. He absolutely loved you. I know. And, and I, and I, and I always would tell him, you know, that I never, I would love to have been able to consider myself a jazz player, but I, I respect the art form too much to, to even be able to say that about myself. I, I love jazz. That's all. I, and it was my hugest influence, but I don't, I never could would consider myself a jazz musician. And, uh, he, he always liked that. He, he understood what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, well, but, can uh, I, can yeah. I just tell, I, I want you guys to tell stories, but I have a story that can sort of pivot off of what you just said, Jim, um, about Charlie and his clothes. I, I, this was about 13 years ago. The year was 2008. I told this story in one of the other one of these shows that I did, but I'm going to tell it here. Cause it's, it's right in line with, with what you're talking about. I had lunch with him in London with him and Sherry Daly, who I know you remember Sherry. Yeah. from the office and uh, we had lunch at this great little place in chelsea right near where his, his flat was i was there for a few days ahead of the frankfurt show and uh so it's a beautiful like spring day and we finished lunch and he said it's like a friday afternoon he said so what do you have to do now where, where do you have to go i said i i'm free i don't have anything to do i'm staying up on regent street i'm gonna just probably go do a little shopping on regent street he said, well, I've got to run up to Piccadilly um, to run some errands. Do you want to come with me? And I said, sure, I'd love to. So we take a walk over to his flat, which was around the corner. He picked up a few things. Then we walked up along Hyde Park up to Piccadilly. And we, the first stop, my wife remembers this better than me, and she wasn't even there. But the first stop was at his, I believe, his shoemaker, his, the person that makes his shoes for him. And he goes in and he's there to try on a pair of shoes that his shoemaker had made for him. And this is the, this is the funniest part is he's introducing me to this man that owns this shop as a very important man in the music business. He said, he knows all the drummers. He knows Roy Haynes. He knows Elvin Jones. He knows all these guys. And when they need something, they call him. And so the guy's looking at me like impressed going, great. Nice to meet you. And I'm going, yeah, but you're Charlie Watts, you know? So we, we finish our, we, he tries his shoes on, we go on to the next stop, which was his shirt maker. And it was the Burlington arcade. And it was, they were the two different right up on, on uh, bond street where you're talking about Savile row. And um, there were two different arcades up that way that where he shopped. And so we go to the shirt maker and it's the same thing. He goes in and he, he, I think he tried a shirt on and then he had a couple others there like in a box ready to go. And he said, you can, you can send these, but I'll, I'll take this one with me or something. And again, introduces me to the man there as a very important man in the music business. It was, you know, I thought he was taking the piss out of me, but he was being very serious. And it was a day I'll never forget. So we were on our way there as we were walking, he points to this, beautiful restaurant my wife and I go to all the time. And Pete, you might know this place called the Woolsey. It's on, it's right on Piccadilly. Oh, Great Charlie place. Drayton's going to, yeah, you know it, Vinny. The oh, Woolsey, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm going to let Charlie Drayton in and uh, pause this for one second. And here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Wow, what a nice. And well, anyway, so we'd passed by the Wolsey and he'd mentioned his daughter was going to have her 40th birthday party 
in a couple of months there and how great a restaurant it is. So we finished doing what we're doing. It's about four in the afternoon. And he says, where do you have to go now? And I said, I'm, I'm don't have to go anywhere. He said, how about getting a coffee somewhere? Charlie, welcome. Friends, teachers. Oh, hello. Charlie. It's Charlie. great to see you, Charlie. Oh, man. Oh, man. My so cyber can... algorithm is somewhere and it might fade or it might stay in rhythm with this. Hello, everybody. <laughs> oh, thank you for thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining. I, I'm going to just take one more second, Charlie, and finish this, this story that I'm telling these guys. No, 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 no. It's OK, because I'll, I, I, I'll wrap it up. But basically, we, he said, how about a coffee? And we look up and there's a Starbucks just up the road a little ways. And we went, no, we don't want to go to Starbucks. He said, how about tea at the Woolsey? So we walk on over. It's a couple of blocks down. Go up to the to the hostess and the place is packed. It's just like there's people at the bar drinking martinis and it's just it's it's rocking and rolling. So Charlie says uh, two for tea. And this young girl at the, at the counter said it's about a 30 minute wait. So we sort of looked at each other and said, well, yeah, OK, not going to happen. So we start to walk out. A man comes out of nowhere, grabs both of us by our shoulders and says, right this way. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the scene in Goodfellas where this table sort of appears out of nowhere, you know, like, and Charlie turns to me and said, they must know who you are. It <laughs> 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 was worth the punchline. That was worth oh, the wait. Yeah. Well, good. Thanks. And, and so we, oh, we had this one. wonderful, you know, afternoon tea at the Woolsey and, and it was uh, a, a day I'll never forget. Charlie, I've probably told you that story a hundred times, but anyway, it's good to see That's you, a, my friend. Oh, good. Good to see yeah. you. Yeah. Where's Charlie Huh? Where's Charlie Dre? Oh, there you are. Charlie. Where are you, Charlie? Jimmy Lee, I what? am in Philadelphia today. Awesome. And it's wonderful to be back here. This is my first uh, arrival here since you know this this whole new rhythm yeah. we're trying to figure out and live within yeah. and be amongst each other and yeah so um today you know i have an opportunity to serve a few songs and um and i'm just happy to be here with everybody for a few minutes Fantastic. thank you for being here cool. yeah yes. yeah thank you well why isn't, um, he on the, why isn't he up on the little on the thing up there I think, Jim, if you go up to your view up in the top right corner of your screen and you see where it says view. Yeah. Um, click on gallery. Do you see? Does it give you the option to click on gallery? No, it just says show manage participants, show chat. Oh, show manage participants. Is that it? Um, you, but you do see a button that says view like a it looks like a tic-tac-toe board, like nine little dots next wow. to the word view. Jimmy, you look much better on the screen than I do. If you click on <laughs> gallery, I think yeah, you'll see yeah. all of us. Um, oh, well, no, don't, don't. Oh, gallery view. Okay. Yes, try that. See oh, if that man, froze. Oh, there we are. There we are. Good, good. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Charlie's worth, he, it's worth it to see Charlie Drake. Yeah. But, but, but why isn't Charlie still there? He's oh, still, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, he's up there. He's there. But I think he's frozen. He might have froze. He might have froze. Well, while Charlie unfreezes, Aaron, I know you you guys, the Spin Doctors, toured with the Stones in 94? 
Yes, we uh, had the good fortune of doing the Voodoo Lounge tour. We did about 15 shows with them. And uh, before I talk about Charlie, I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me. It's a big honor to be here with all you guys. Every single one of you has been a really big uh, influence on me. And it's, uh, you know, I've known uh, John for 30 plus years and he still calls me the new guy. So <laughs> not so new anymore, but, you know, <laughs> seriously, like really, man, everybody here, it's it's uh, it's kind of wild for me to see you all in these little squares, you know, so cheers. Good Thanks to see Hollywood. You, Hollywood squares, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, man, I mean, I've always been a, a huge admirer of Charlie's drumming and a big Stones fan and, you know, a real uh, lover of drummers and bands. You know, I, when I grew up, I like all of us, I, I came from a jazz background, but I've always sort of been equally into jazz and, you know, rock and roll bands and also like, you know, all my favorite studio musicians. I, you know, when I moved to New York in 88, I came here. I really wanted to be a jazz drummer, a studio drummer and a guy in a band, <laughs> you know, and and um, I've kind of been able to to some degree do all of them. But, you know, most of them known for being in the spin doctors and in 1990, I guess it was 94, 95, we were asked to do the Voodoo Lounge tour. And, uh, you know, it was it was a really great thing. And, you know, got to hang with Charlie some. And, you know, like everybody said here, he's just such a classy guy, such a gentleman. He made me feel really comfortable from the get-go. You know, he was seemed to be the most accessible out of all the guys, you know. Um, he was out there wandering around a lot, playing snooker or whatever. And we'd have little chit chats, you know, and, um, you know, at the time I really tried to be respectful. You know, it was an honor to be on that tour. I didn't want to be in anybody's face. So I, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, God, I wish I, there's so many things I wish I would have sort of asked him when I had the opportunity, but it was more just, just, uh, you know, a little bit of talk about music and both of our loves for jazz drumming and everything. But the thing I remember is just how, just how nice of a guy he was, how comfortable he made me feel. What a classy guy was, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, we were doing some shows with them in South America and bumping into him in the lobby on the day off. And he's dressed, you know, he's wearing one of his killer suits. I'm like, hey, hey, man, how's it going? You know, hey, you know, what are you up to, Charlie? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going shopping. You know, so he was going to, he was going shopping <laughs> and he looked amazing. And, um, you know, I watched every single, sh every show, every night and, um, you know, Charlie really is the glue in that band. I mean, he was he was so consistent night after night. And and Vinny touched on it earlier, you know, just the sound he gets out of the drums, that light touch mixed with the phenomenal job they do with the front of house, you know, he really was able to create this style of, you know, really just a beautiful touch. But out on the front, it just sounded, it sounded massive, you know. And um, I thought about, like, you know, I don't know if he thought about it early on in his career, but he really was smart in the way he developed his style. He probably would have never guessed he was going to be still playing stadiums all the way up till you know, 80 years old. But that's pretty smart thinking ahead, because I think particularly a lot of rock drummers and bands, they, you know, you might dig yourself in a hole on your first couple records when you're 20, <laughs> you know, and, and it's hard to play that way when you get a lot older, you know, so Charlie was very smart. I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but he's a great example of um, just how to get a beautiful sound out of the drums without 
wailing into them, which I'm a big fan of. I prefer, I think it's, uh, not that there's anything wrong with hitting hard. There's some amazing drummers that do that, but, um, you know, the, the sound you can get out of drums with, with that light touch and that sort of that release he gets, you know, I guess that's, it's a lot of that jazz touch he has. He sort of, I always feel like he's coming off the drum as opposed to sort of digging into it. Yeah. And, and it's just that snap he gets, you know, and um, so getting to watch him every night. And you know, as we know, I mean, the Stones are not the tightest band every every night. I mean, you know, the guitars can be, as they say, they weave, you know, and, and it's one of the most beautiful things. I mean, yeah. but if they didn't have a guy like Charlie holding that together night after night, it could be a train wreck. And, you know, he yeah. he really he really did. I mean, and uh, the other thing that I loved and I'm sure you, all you guys have probably noticed this I'm sure, at, a, at a Stone show is, you know, when Mick would announce the band, you know, he'd go through the band and, he'd, you know, he'd say Keith and everybody would do their Keith thing, you know, and Keith did his thing. And, uh, and then Charlie every night got the biggest reaction. It, it was just unbelievable. Every night and he'd stand up and, you know, and it was just like, and it went on and on and on. I just thought that was so cool, you know, um, to see that kind of a reaction to him at those live shows. Um, you know, so I wish I had more stories. I, I wish I would have been a little more, um, I wish I would have asked him more questions when I had the opportunity. But like I said, I really was trying to, you know, it was an honor to be on that tour and I was really trying to be respectful of him and, and just to be there. But, um, man, you know, I mean, what, a, what an inspiration. You know, I, I had a question actually for you, Jim, um, cause I've heard, you know, everybody knows Charlie does that thing where he comes off the snare drum, which I love. And I, lo I love the sound it makes, you know, when you hit the... I know that he probably does it to, to, like, you know, so that he doesn't crisscross. But I also just love the way the drum sounds when it's hit by itself. You know, it, you get this beautiful tone. But I had heard somewhere that, um, that you saw Levon Helm do it, and then Charlie saw you do it. And that's where it came from. And I'm just wondering if you could well, maybe... The... the, uh, the that little story is uh, that's right i should have remembered that a minute ago the, the thing is uh when i met levon uh he he changed uh, uh my course the course of my drumming uh in a in a big way yeah uh, and we would sit and talk and 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 uh he would say god damn it jim lee i played all those damn little things that you played man and i said oh levon if i could just hit the floor tom and make it be in the right spot and sound the way you do, man. You know, so we had that kind of relationship. <laughs> and uh, and so he affected me deeply. And when I would see them play in the studio or live, he always did that. He always brought the hi-hat, uh, the stick, hi-hat stick up off the backbeat. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I just, I don't remember actually trying to do it. It just infiltrated my playing. And then I started doing it. And uh, so I didn't really start for any other reason other than just watching Levon do it. And then years later, Charlie told me that he started doing it from seeing me on the Bangladesh film doing it. And, and I thought that was hilarious. And then Steve Jordan started doing it because he saw Charlie doing it. And then ironically now, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jordan is, you know, his replacement. Now, I hate that word replacement, but he's he has the great honor of, of 
you know, playing the gig. And, uh, and he, I think he, I saw him not long ago, uh, and he does it once in a while. He doesn't do it all the time, right? But, uh, but that's the story that I heard. Jordan told me that. So, yeah, because I mean, I, when I think about just the few guys, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, well, I was just going to say, you know, you were talking about the sound that he got out of his drums, you know. Uh, this is another little funny story. Uh, Jordan told me, you know, Steve, Steve and Charlie, Charlie Drayton and, and Steve Jordan and myself, we, we always had this little bond, you know. Back in the day, we, we hung out uh, uh, good and bad. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, but Jordan, so Jordan is always, we're talking all the time on the phone. And, uh, he told me right when the rehearsal started, you know, he said, uh, I, I dipped my hand down in Charlie's bag and I pulled out one of his sticks and I was amazed at how big it was. Like, he, how does he play with these big sticks? all night long, you know, all, like these big concerts. And, and, uh, and he said, I tried to do it for a few numbers and, uh, and it did, it was hard to do for him. You know, cause Steve sticks are, are those little hip, hip, uh, Steve Jordan sticks. And, uh, so, uh, we started talking about it and, uh, and I think that the thing is that first of all, I recall, I don't know of any of y'all who have met him and shook hands with him, whether you remember like I do. I, I don't have big hands, but Charlie's hands were big on my hand. When I shook his hands, he, he had he had big, soft hands. And uh, um, in, the, in the same way that George Harrison did. And I'm saying that because these are not big guys, you know, they, they, they weren't like big guys that you would think would have big hands. They were, they were relatively small dudes, but they had sort of big, soft hands. And uh, I always remember that about Charlie, you know, and playing uh, traditional uh, with that big stick. Uh, uh, he played it, like you said, Aaron, he played it, he, he played, he approached the drums like a jazz guy did. He, he would never hit them hard. He didn't play like Tony, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he played. He played kind of light. That's the way he. That's the way he, he. That's where he came from. And then when he hit the backbeat, he hit it right up, right up in there in the fat part of the stick. And uh, you know that's not unusual for all of us. We we all do that from time to time. Myself, I have. I got to play all over the freaking place. You know, uh, I want to play up on the neck on the backbeat sometimes. And then uh, down in the fat part sometimes, but he always stayed on the fat part. He never went anywhere else on the stick or his backbeat, and that was part of the uh, the beauty of the uh, and the consistency of of his playing. And then the other thing, the other thing is that uh, when you were talking about uh, the beauty of of listening to him hold the band together. You know, that that was a thing that I used to talk to Charlie about. I used to say to him, uh, you figured this out early on because and, and, and I'm saying this as a person who's played with Keith, 
you know, uh, I, I had different opportunities to play with Keith Richards, you know, various different things. Where I, I unfortunately was always so loaded at that point, it was, it was too bad. But, but even so, playing with Keith Richards, I could tell uh, that that it, it wouldn't be easy. You wouldn't. What you wouldn't want to do is hold him down when he went away, or to push him if he would. You know, he. You 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 can't do that with the Rolling Stones. You can't do that with those guys. So Charlie didn't do that. What he did do was he allowed in his playing, and if you if you listen this way, you'll 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 hear it. He allowed for Keith Richards' guitar to be the hi hat, to be a, a, a the integral a, a, an integral part of his drum set, and uh, and that's not natural for us as drummers. We we want to play the hi hat. That's the way we, that's the way we do. That's what we do, and uh, but Charlie figured that out early on. The less hi hat he played, the more Keith was free. Mm-hmm. And the more free Keith was, the more he paid attention to Charlie and not pushing around too much. And so it was this magical combination that made that those grooves, man, those I- iconic grooves that we hear. Uh, on the radio to this day, and we will forever. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 heavy stuff, Jim. I'm going to jump in here real quick, if you yeah. guys don't mind. I just want to tell you, uh, Jim, that's what you just said in the last few minutes there was probably one of the greatest lessons I've I've ever got. So, well, just thanks for that. That that yeah. was like a that was like a three minute master class, and for the drummers out there and musicians that, that might be watching that may have missed it. It speaks volumes in a general sense as well. And it was a great segue from, you know, in my opinion, from talking about and, and illustrating what, why Charlie did what he did with the hi-hat. And, yeah. and so, 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 so it just kind of, that was a great, a great extrapolation into a huge, huge lesson, meaning that we're talking about what you should or shouldn't do Playing yeah. with Keith, it 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 it's obviously, and I'm I'm going to just sort of spell out things that might be obvious to some, but maybe not so obvious to others. Um, that that it it speaks about a broader role that we have as as musicians. That is a huge part of 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 becoming a mature musician and and someone who plays music is to to know that kind of stuff. And that that happens when you're playing with other people live together. And so as good as people can become playing by themselves with a clicker, with a computer that doesn't talk back and, 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 you know, you could reach a high level of skill doing that, obviously. And I'm not here to demean that, but, but it's, it's just, there's a whole other dimension of, of playing that, that informs us and into becoming what we become that, you know, can, can stand the danger of being lost if that doesn't happen because it's our interacting together. That's that kind of stuff. You you can only get that if you're in that situation. And then it's sort of like, well, you're either going to, you're either going to figure that one out or you're not going to figure it out. 
And people like Jim Keltner figured it out. And that's why he's the great Jim Keltner because he figured that out, you know, and he saw that. No, I'm, t I'm not blowing smoke, Jim. I'm just truth, bro. It's truth. This is just truth. Hashtag truth. And it's, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, it's it, that, that's a mighty, mighty lesson there, you know? And like, for me, like, like, for example, what Aaron was talking about, right? Going back to Aaron to touch and what you also talked about, Jim, where he always played on the fat part of the stick, right? On the backbeat, get a certain kind of sound like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so like I would have never, you know, like what, how many of us left to our own resources would have said, okay, I'm going to jump in that gig. And I'm going to play the gig, you know, using a flat ride. You know what I mean? And a yeah. little China. Yeah. You know, you know, I was like, I would have never, I thought, no, I'm not going to play this gig on a flat ride, but he did, you know, yeah. it was just one thing that he did. And so, yeah, that was a mighty lesson. And and yeah, I, I just had to, I had to, I had to, to, to highlight what you said, Jim, because I wanted people to stop and think on that, not just so I could mm -hmm. talk, but I wanted to put a pause on that. Like somebody like, you know, putting a light bulb on a, on a paragraph on a page for a while before they turn the page, you know, like pay attention, let that sink in what he just said, let yeah. that sink in, let that sink in, repeat and rinse. So I just wanted to say that, you know, just, I, I could, I could, oh, I was going to say, I, I could endorse that story. Um, yeah, we did a gig with them in 2006 in uh, Soldier Field in Chicago. And we were setting up during the sound check and his, his, his drum tech was there, um, not Don, the guy before. and uh, Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike. Yeah. yeah. And I, I said to him, okay, so how does he do it? How does Charlie do it? Like, what? Because he's just got those two wedges, you know, he's got his drums on a little carpet, you know, it's like no big deal. I said, so how does he do it? Like, what does he have in the monitors and stuff? And he he just looked at me like sort of weird, you know, it wasn't didn't look like he was going to be terribly helpful. And and he went off and I just thought, oh well, you know, there you go, whatever. And and then about an hour later. He came back and he said, I've had a word with Charlie. He wants you to come on stage and sit by him and watch the show. And, you know, I was like, what? You know, you're kidding me. And then I said, well, I've got my wife uh, with me as well. And he said, that's okay. You can bring yeah. her up as you can bring her up as well. He said, just wait till the show started then come around the back and we'll take you up on stage. So, so they started the show, you know, Jumper Jack Flash, and it's like that. I've never had that feeling anywhere else. Like, like when they start the show, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones, it's like, yeah. anyway, so we're standing there, me and my wife. It's snowing. It's like horizontal snow coming on the stage. And they're like such troopers. They're up there, you know. So this guy leads us up on stage. He, he sits my wife next to um, Keith Richards' amp, like behind like that four by ten or whatever, you know, like 
her head is behind Keith Richards' amp. It's like being in the Vatican or something, you know. It's like this sacred... <laughs> and and I'm sitting there as well. And Charlie Watts looks over. He's got the red socks on, you know, and and he just gives us this look like, you know. <laughs> and, and, I, and I witnessed exactly what Jim is talking about. Like, it was Keith... And Charlie, like I was it, I was in the middle of it. That's the and, engine. And I was doing okay. I was all right. I was like, I mean, I knew it was cool, but I was all right until Keith started Midnight Rambler. You know, until until this amp that I could see went, and at that point I just melted. You know, and and then Charlie comes in with that you know and it, and he's just popping that snare like you say you know and and i realized like with the rolling stones audience they no other audience dances like a rolling stones audience like most people are up and down they're like whoa bruce springsteen you know like, but but with with the Rolling Stones audience, they're like they're wiggling and squirming, and like everybody's like doing this. I mean, a bit like Mick, I suppose. But and it's that it's Charlie and Keith. It's that unbelievably unique thing, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> and he was so nice to invite me to do that you know i mean i didn't know him real well i met him a few times but it's the same thing everybody's saying he's so nice you know such a you know one more last thing uh from me here on this you know pete what you just said is the that's our story cynthia and me we never saw in all the years that they came to la to play the big stadiums and whatever we never were out in the audience. He always had us back there with him. Yeah. And he loved being able to play. He's playing to 20, 30,000 people more, whatever. And, and he's playing and he look up almost like to see if we're still there. <laughs> and, and I love, you know, he would look up and I go, you know, I just would always go freaking out on him, you know, Charlie, you son. And, um, uh, he just loved that we were loving being close to him, watching him play. And he would make a face. Like when, when Keith Richards played a wrong chord, he'd turn around and do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know <laughs> any of us here who would do that. I, I don't want people <laughs> sitting me while I'm playing the drums. On, on, <laughs> how about you, Vinny? Would you? Would you? Did, as many fans as you have, would want to be close to you? Would you do that? When I, I mean, do, I mean, ha invite somebody up to play, sit next to you while you were playing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had it. I've had that many times and we all have, I mean, geez, there, I mean, one, one, you know, there, there have been so many clubs in, in, in LA around here that have, uh, have, you know, we all know that they've gone belly up. Um, there was this one place on, on Ventura Boulevard in, in Sherman Oaks. Uh, I don't remember what the name of it was. I think it was called 
called Le Cafe or something. Oh, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. really small. And, I mean, I'm talking, like, you know, if you, you had to be careful if you were going to sort of hit your right crash because somebody's head was right there. It was that small and, you know, of a room. And, you know, and, and, and playing loud, too. It's like I, I feel bad for the people that were sitting next to that, you know. But, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want I just... <laughs> It's a, it's a, you know, Charlie, it's just another one of those unusual things about Charlie Watts. Well, yeah. The unusual cat. Really an unusual cat. Yeah. You know, um, going back to what, you know, know, you're talking about these relations, the relationship, the hi-hat and then you got to ask yourself, you know, a band like the Stones, I mean, to, they're, they're so great to listen to. People love them. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, why is it? What makes a band so good for so long, you know, and there's so many things. I mean, obviously amazing songwriting, musicianship, Mick Jagger being the entertainer, yeah. but it's this, it's this, these subtle things like you were talking about, Jim, you know, that like, that are so interesting to the ear. A lot of people, most people don't even know why it is that they like it so much, but you know, it's, I always thought like, you know, Stones and the Beatles, I mean, two greatest rock and roll bands ever. I always thought that the Beatles more is like classical and the Stones more like jazz. You know, there's it's that interplay that they always have going on, both live and in the studio. You know, you hear it on those records. Um, You know, Jim Dickinson told me a story. I did some work with him years ago and he, you know, I believe he played on uh, was Wild Horses, I think. And so he was hanging around a lot during that record. And what he told me was that at least for that record, and I know they do think, things are different on from album to album, but on those particular sessions that he was at, he said that basically the first time they got a take from beginning to end without anybody making a major mistake, that was the take. That's what they would work with, you know, and, <laughs> you know, not very few music, very few bands can get away with that. I mean, somehow the stones have been able to, and it, it's that, it's that spontaneity, all those happy accents throughout all those songs that is the magic that has become yeah. drilled in our brain. I mean, think of all the, all the classic Charlie Phil's that, you know, I don't want to call them accidents, but they're, they're like these random things like the beginning of start me up, you know, as an example, or, you know, a lot of them, um, or the end of, I think it's, can't you hear me knocking where it hits the crash, you know I mean? Oh. You know, I, I don't know, but I'm guessing maybe he didn't know they were stopping. Who knows? Maybe he did on, did it on purpose. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's these amazing classic things that make it so interesting years later. But most of all, that that magic. And I just watched an interview with him recently. I think it was pretty a pretty recent interview. And, you know, it, it's kind, kind of what you were talking about, Pete, you know, like inviting you on the stage and this love he had for musicians and and his own bandmates. And they were asking him about the bandmates and they, they got to Mick Jagger. And it, it was almost like he had tears in his eyes. He, he basically said that Mick Jagger is the, the greatest thing out there. That Mick Jagger is the greatest entertainer alive. And, you know, think about it. I mean, we're, we're all drummers. A lot of what we all do is backup singers, you know? And it's like, you, if, you, if you don't like the singer, <laughs> You know, it, it you yeah. might feel that. You know, sometimes tension works, but like he he loved Mick Jagger and like he had his back every night for 50 years, you know, and like they all had each other's back. But I just think, you know, it's that camaraderie and that love that a guy like Charlie, you know, has 
that makes music, you know, special. And um, it certainly, you know, I mean, there's, there's such a special band and, and Charlie was just such a huge, huge part of that, you know. You know, Can I just add to that? Oh, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll make this quick. You know, no, no. Uh, the thing is, what what knocks me out is that you have like a little panel here, and this is just us. This is just a little small group here. Yeah. All these other people, all these other there's so many great musicians. Uh, there's so many great drummers in our community. Uh, we have. You know, uh, you know, Aaron and and Vinny, and and Anton, and you know, though you three guys, I put me because <laughs> we're more like, you know, sort of uh, in this area here. I, I put it in, but you know, you guys uh, are really, really advanced players. I mean, that's the way I I, I see it. And and you know Dave, I'm I'm good friends with Dave Weckel and and uh, and, and and what's his shit? I you know I can start <laughs> off you know and the cats that play like from, they're, they're from another planet and yeah. uh, that's the way I've always thought of Vinny, for instance, you know. But, but to hear to hear to hear people like that, all of us joining together and talking about the appreciation we have for a band like the Rolling Stones, that knocks me out. That really gives me, that that, that actually solidifies what I've always thought anyway uh, about the real musicians. The cats that have the music in their hearts and their brains together, uh, they, there's no distinction between, you know, what you would think, you know, like right. a, a Charlie. Listen, I mean, Charlie... And I say this with all the love I can muster up in, in, in for Charlie Watts, who I did really, truly love. Charlie, Charlie could barely play a role. He, I never saw him play a role, and when he did, it was it 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 wasn't proper, you know, and he never felt like he needed to, <laughs> so he didn't, and he didn't advance his playing to any degree. Which I'm, I'm sure he could have, but I, I think Vinny or somebody said a minute ago, you know, why would you, you know, he, he, he did, he, he found these guys early on in life, and uh, they found him, and they made this thing happen, and he didn't feel the need, you know, to, to go any further. Well, what I'm trying to say is, uh, for a guy who played really, really, what you might considered to be limited uh, technique he had the most unusual like you said a minute somebody said about the fills and things you can listen to a song by the rolling stones and you'll go wow, wow i gotta do that sometime i gotta try to put that in my yeah. vocabulary yeah, yeah. exactly and, man, it's master class for jim keltner man this is some deep yeah. this I mean, is deep man I, I'm telling you, man, it really is, Jim. It, it's, you're blowing my mind, man, like you always do. We feel the same way about you, you know, and like you're you're from another planet. Like nobody can think and come up with the stuff that you do. But see, that's the thing, man, too. <clears throat> what you're talking about is like championing individual identity. This is There's a lot to unpack in here. You know, the, the whole thing of just being yourself. That's what Charlie was. He was himself. Right. And and the idea of talking about well the stones you know they play sloppy and they, 
See, but the the symbiosis they had, you couldn't get that kind of funk. I've heard so many multi-tracks of records that I just grew up on that I love that still, to this day, none more funky. But if you listen and you start picking apart all these little parts, you go, man, how'd they let that track get on there? You know, it sounds, you know, but it's not, it's not horrible. It wouldn't have sounded better had they cleaned it up. Number three, like, I mean, you know, for all the things that, like, how many people could sound like Charlie did in the Stones? Like, nobody, man. To me, it's like... He's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's only one Charlie Watts. And, and the other thing is, is, um, I mean, this is, this is, well, I don't know. I don't want to ramble too much, but, 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 but it's, you, you really said a mouthful once again, you know, I'm, I'm starting to ramble and go off my, my train of thought here, but, um, but I think that, 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 you know, this, that kind of synergy is like, you talk about, oh, he couldn't even play a role. You're saying that with respect, but it's kind of like, can you imagine somebody trying to, like you talk about how I play or how Dave plays or how so-and-so plays this person, that person, but like if you had the, the cleanest, most sophisticated modern drum core chops in the world, okay, which is, I mean, there's some serious technique going on out there, right? Sure. Okay. Is that going to make you sound like Elvin Jones? Like, can you imagine if Elvin had chops like that and he focused on that? He could have, you couldn't play that kind of sensibility in order to want to play that way doesn't serve that concept at all. It, it's, it's so far removed from trying to execute that concept and make that kind of musical statement. You could never sound like that ever if you tried to approach it from that perspective. You couldn't, you just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, so, so, so really at the end of the day, you you know, you have to kind of go, well, who cares? What's, what's better quote unquote better. You know what I mean? Well, what are you trying to say? You know, what do you, what, what tool are you bringing to the gig? You know? And so Charlie and, and, and even, I mean, I had the great uh, pleasure of, of interviewing John McLaughlin recently who said, that he needed, you know, um, structure or what some people might call limits in order to be free. Mm-hmm. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like, are you really limited or, or is that just the way you're looking at it? You know, I don't, I don't know. I think Charlie was just yeah. Charlie. He was just himself, right. you know? And, yeah. and, and, and that's, well, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all of this, extracting it again, out of, out of three minutes of, of, uh, just infinite wisdom coming from Jim Keltner. So thanks for that, man. You know, that's amazing. Well, I just want to, I just want to add to what you're saying, Vinny, what Jim yeah. said and Aaron, and that is, I think you could, what you just said is exactly right, Vinny. And, and you could, yeah. you could almost sum it up by saying he was so comfortable in his own skin that he like, and, and, and this goes to a point that Pete made also like a song like midnight rambler where they where it was a, like a, the one part of the night where the stones really jammed, you know, for 10 minutes, they just, it was never played the same way every time. And some nights they really take it to a place. And then other nights they might keep it a little more kind of on earth. But, but I think if Charlie didn't feel comfortable in his own skin, he probably wouldn't have taken the chances that he took playing that song. I mean, I have like endless countless recordings of bootlegs of that particular song, for example, on, you know, different records. And, and some nights he's going for shit that like, like that Elvin would go for, you know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> right, right, right. 
stretching. And you and I know he was channeling guys like Elvin or Tony. Like he was, he had to be hearing in his mind mm-hmm. what would Elvin play? How would he do this? You know, in and, and you'd hear almost, you know, bits of like polyrhythms and, and things that he was his own version of it, you know. And mm-hmm. and uh, and, yeah. I, and I encourage you guys really, if you can get a hold of some of these bootlegs, it's some pretty spectacular stuff from like the 70s oh. when he was really, really stretching and the band was really stretching. And I think he had to be comfortable to to be able to do that and i'll just say one more thing he a couple of times i saw him in new york um roy haynes was in the audience and he and he sort of assigned me to make sure that roy was looked after you know can you make sure roy gets to his seat um one time anton when, when we all went to the premiere um i think it was about eight years ago at the um the zigfield theater for the premiere for crossfire hurricane and he asked me to go out. He said, can you make sure Roy and Anton get in and make sure they get their tickets? And I remember meeting you out front, Anton. I think you were still doing the Letterman show. And you met me, like, came right from there and met me out front. And we went up and saw Charlie. But uh, but he was always thinking like that. Like, here he is, you know, either at a gig or at a big premiere. And he's thinking, like, can you just make sure Roy Haynes yeah. gets in? Can you just make yeah, you know. I remember that night uh, at the party afterwards, I was talking to Keith and I said, oh, Charlie sounds so fantastic. And he goes, yeah, he's our secret weapon. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, but there was, when they did that pay-per-view show in New Jersey, I went and I was, was me and Laura, my wife and my son, Aaron, and we were in Charlie's room talking, talking, and a lot of it was jazz and, and uh, you know, talking about all the jazz dramas and their, how they sounded, what they did. Now, after a while, he said, you know, you want to go to Keith's room for a bit? So he took me over there. He took us all over there, and we hung there for a bit. Then he took us back. It was getting close to showtime, and I said, you know, don't you want to um, be on your own, you know, get ready for the show? He goes, no, 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 stay. You must stay. And he just kind of kept us there, like, all the way up to showtime. At one point, he said to me, you know, I'm nervous. I go, why? You know, it's it's another show. He goes, well, it's a live pay-per-view. And I go, oh, well, it's going to be the same. You're just in a big hall, exactly the same. But I just was, like, so touched that he said that to me, that he, like, revealed himself and wasn't afraid to be vulnerable about it. It really, really meant a lot to me. And, and of course, when he played, he played absolutely fine. You know, he was totally fine. But it was so so memorable to me to to have that kind of – Plus interaction. Well, I, I want to go to Pete for one second, but I just want to say the party after the premiere that you were talking about at that hotel way downtown. We went there and they had this great, uh, Roy Haynes came to it and we were hanging out. And I'll just tell all you guys, this is great. Anton at one point says, it's it's probably like midnight. Anton says, well, I'm going to go. I, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go home. And I look over about 20 minutes later and he's he's in Keith's private booth. <laughs> for another oh. for like another hour okay. <laughs> i just got a kick out of it like oh well, of course you're not going to leave there's keith and he's waved <laughs> you over and so you know you're not going home now <laughs> anyway uh, i oh well, yeah funny. right but no but pete you i know you had mentioned off offline that you had a couple of stories i'd love to hear another um well there's a there's you know not so much about playing but but more about how he how he loved drummers you know and and how he was always kind 
to me when I was around. And and it's sort of funny, you know, in the um, lead singer category, you know, like like we were doing Glastonbury and we were on before them and and um, Elvis disappeared out of our dressing room. And, you know, I, I could, I sort of figured he was up to something, you know, like, and uh, anyway, I went for a walk around backstage and then one of our crew guys came running up to me and he goes, Pete, Pete, where have you been? Elvis is looking for you everywhere. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just wandering around. And then Elvis came running up. He's like, Pete, follow me. I'm like, what? what what's going on? So I followed him and, and we went to the Rolling Stones backstage area, like the sanctum, you know, with a yeah. it's all black <laughs> and there's the two security guards. And, and we walked in and the first room was a lot of flight cases, like wardrobe cases and stuff. And there's Charlie Watts just standing there. And so... Elvis goes, you know, he's like, here's Pete. And I'm like, what? You know, and and, and then Charlie Watts looks at me and then he looks back at Elvis and then he points at me and he says to Elvis, he's good, he is. <laughs> and, and, that, and that single moment, like 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 from from then on, it doesn't matter what problems me and Elvis are having with an arrangement or anything, you know. It's, it's like, well, you know, I mean, and apparently Elvis had gone in and he'd run into Charlie and Charlie said to him, who's playing drums with you? And he said, it's Pete. And he said, well, where's Pete? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, and so Elvis, you know, he was like, oh, oh, I'll go get him, you know. So he came out and found me. And, um, you know, and there's oh, one, other, I mean, that was like, you know, and then I took a picture with him. And and that is like my most treasured thing, you know. And, and we still laugh about it, you know, with Elvis. It's like, but <laughs> there's one other thing, though, when you were talking about the way him and Keith play and how it kind of moves around and everything. The, the I was doing this session a little while ago and the song sounded to me like bitch, you know, like da -na 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 -na. and I thought I'm going to go and listen to bitch, you know, just to get some ideas and, and also to see what the tempo is. Mm -hmm. I took my metronome, I got bitch on my computer my and I, you know, I did the, the clicker on my metronome. I think it was like one thirty. Twenty-two, one thirty. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. something I can't remember, but yeah. but what blew me away was it stayed in time. Like um, you know, because it gets to the first verse, the first chorus. You're like, hang on a minute. This, I mean, we all know, you know, like like how, and then it just carried on. It's like. Jesus Christ, this is still, you know, there's fields, there's things. I mean, it's it's weaving around, but it it, it never got off the the metronome until like maybe three quarters of the way through, two-thirds of the way through. And and I just it just it sort of blew me away, you know. It was yeah. like, wow, that that is pretty great, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Char Charlie. 
it, when you when you hear them play, at, according to what you just said, it's it almost sounds impossible because when you hear them play, you hear them rush yeah. into the bridge. They do all the classic things that rock bands used to discuss. You know, young bands and you know, you don't don't let it don't let it die here at the we got we're going into the chorus. We gotta we gotta zoom up, and uh, and they they do that. They do that sort of consciously because they've known over the years, they've been told and they've heard other bands do it wrong, you know, like uh, lose the energy and stuff. So they were doing it consciously, but, but uh, it's so, it's, it's so when you're listening, you're thinking, you, you know, you can't help but, but notice it, especially if you're a musician like us guys who play on records and stuff where we, you know, every little detail of the time is is scrutinized, you know, so much so heavily. And you hear those guys playing, whether they're in the studio or playing live, they still do that. You know, they rush up into the chorus and then somehow it it doesn't ever go away. There's no oh. magic lost. In fact, it's more magical than ever. And then, like Pete just said, if you were to check it out, you'd probably find that it just was all you know, might as well have done it to a click, you know, as far as the, uh, the actual uh, integrity of the, of the, the time, the tempo, but uh, that's just, that just points to the fact that, that there was magic when those guys found Charlie, they found their magic. They found the thing that, we, that, that created that engine that we now love so much. And, it's the same thing with Ringo. Uh, when those guys uh, found Ringo, they did everything in the world they could to keep him happy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, Ringo and Charlie, man, and two yeah. of the greatest uh, rock bands ever. Amen. Completely different from each other, but but the thing they had in common was they had two, two really special cats playing. Amen. And we're sitting here talking about them today. Exactly, man. Absolutely. So, man, you guys, you guys are the best. And um, look at that. Look at John. This is a beautiful picture, man. That is yeah. amazing. So, I'm. You know what? Uh, I just, John. I want to thank you for hosting this, man. And I, gentlemen, I want thank to. You, um, I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be in your company. Sincerely. From my heart, man, it's a huge, huge pleasure and a huge honor, and it's so great to see you all again. So, and John, thank you for having me. But I, I must bid you farewell, and uh, I have to, I have to say ta-ta now. So, okay, um, Vinny, thank you so much for being here today. Thank we you, so appreciate it. Yeah, but you guys, you, you guys, it. take care of yourselves, man. Right, God bless you all. Okay, Vinny. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Okay, love you back. Love you. See you, buddy. And guys, I, I won't keep you too much longer. I know we're we're getting on in time, but I, I did just to Jim's point, I wanted to show this picture and I thought, Oh, it's really great shot. It's a, it's a perfect segue for Jim. Maybe you could just take a second and you and I spoke on the phone a couple of weeks ago and I told you how I keep this in my drum room and it, it gives me huge inspiration to see three of my, my biggest giant heroes together. And I know this was a special day for you and for all three of you guys. Oh, that was the first time they had seen each other in so long. And uh, and it was really, it was one of those moments, you know, where I, I had to cry a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. But hey, 
You know what? It's too bad Vinny left. I wanted to ask him. You know, none of you guys are as old as I am. Uh, no, I'm finding out that nobody's old as I am. <laughs> I just, I, Charlie and, and Ringo, you know, and uh, they're they're actually older than me, which is, you know, and and I, I'm seriously, I'm I'm. Uh, so one thing that I'm is happening to me that I want to find out from any of you guys. You're not this old yet, but maybe it's happening to you. The older I have got, the more I cry. All the effing time, man. Like little things make me cry. Like I just, I had, you know, our grand, our great grandkids were over the other day, and I had this conversation. I had this conversation with my with my uh, great great uh, great granddaughter, and uh, she's just as smart as she can be. She's sixteen years old, and she's she's like an advanced placement, whatever the hell that means in school, and. Uh, She's and math is her thing, and math was not my thing. <laughs> I was telling her how proud I am that she didn't take after me. Well, she did. Drumming is math. Drumming is incredible math. Well, maybe, right. maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. that, there is you're something right. there in that little DNA thing with it. But but I just found myself when when she was talking to me and stuff. I just I I, I was trying to not cry in front of her, but I couldn't help it, and. Uh, that's and a beautiful thing. Stuff like this is just—it's just happening to me all the time now, you know. And so, like seeing Anton, man, Anton, I haven't seen you in so freaking long. Yeah, man, it's good and to see you. I right love here. our hangs, you know, and and yeah. New York and all, and uh, and Pete. We used to hang out all the fucking time. I uh, know we had a few adventures. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> and Aaron, I don't know you, Aaron, but now I do. And I can I can tell that you're you're a badass, wonderful cat, man. Very, you know what I do love about about our drumming community is there's a, it's it's a lot more soulful than I ever thought it was. And we're mm-hmm. all, even though we're all completely different, coming from so many different worlds and stuff, uh, we we have this thing in common, and 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 it just like i said it almost makes me want to cry you know talking about it because it's 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 a beautiful thing mm-hmm. well and, and it's got it's got a lot to do with charlie watts you know yeah yeah i mean i mean in the in the on the bookshelf of rock and roll if you took that stuff away there'd be a big gap up there amen pete yeah i i agree i agree he yeah, yeah. Just an unusual soul, an unusual sweet-natured soul, man. And and to hear you guys all talking about him like that is, it it just it shows that that it, it, he wasn't just that way around me. Obviously, I mean, that's who he was. Uh-huh. And that's, I, that's I'll just say, you know, I I've, I've told people this, and and without belaboring the whole thing, but. You know, I would have been happy just to meet him. I he was my childhood idol. As a, I started playing drums after hearing Exile on Main Street, and it was like that. I hadn't didn't even really decide to be a drummer till I was listening to that record in 1972, and when, and then I wanted to be a drummer, and I wanted to be Charlie. So when I met him 25 years later, um, I would have just been happy to shake his hand and say, "It's an honor to meet you, sir." You know, and but we somehow, and I say somehow, but he he liked me and we became friends and, and, and it's what we've all said. He was just such an amazing, soulful, 
human that yeah yeah like he just you know i saw him do something that i've never seen anyone do on the letterman show we did like maybe six thousand shows i've never seen anyone do this in the especially in the early days they would make people play with the band the letterman band which i was the beneficiary of but i could totally understand it was putting people in in certain positions that they may or may not have wanted to be in anyway he came to the show he was playing with his band and he walked into the studio and they said to him, oh, by the way, you're going to be playing with the Letterman Band today. And he said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to be playing with the Letterman Band today. And he said, thank you. Turned around, walked out, <laughs> left the show. <laughs> I never heard of him, you know. I thought oh, it was man. great. Yeah. Did you ever tell him that, Anton? Did you ever, like, tell him? Uh, I, no, should, no. I wish I had. Uh, it was yeah. so funny. He did come back later <laughs> with his band and play. <laughs> <laughs> and they oh. played what's new i remember they played what's new you know the jazz standard yeah yeah oh yeah. man another great charlie story yeah. well you know I, I i'm gonna let you guys all go and i so appreciate your time today but what i would love to do down the road when we've everybody's watched get back we could do like a little separate little hang oh, yeah, talk about Talk so awesome that's that thing yeah yeah jim's <laughs> just starting it and i think pete you said you're you haven't started watching it yet no, no, my right. daughter's just just arrived. We're going to watch it this afternoon. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah. I would like to go and watch. I want to go and watch the the old movie now, just to see yeah. it's it's done in a whole different way. Left you with a different impression. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I have a question for Jim Keltner that maybe you can answer if you remember this. And and again, we're I'm I'm pivoting off Charlie for one minute, but he'll understand. It's a Ringo question. I've heard through the grapevine or or that you. Ringo gifted you his old Peisty symbols from that period or earlier, some 602s that you have some hi hats, maybe, or maybe some other ring, or is that a secret? <laughs> I don't know where I heard it, but I feel like I, I heard it somewhere that that he I'll just tell you this. Ringo told me years ago in a in a in a little funny way as he as he, you know, he likes to do. He's, I brought him some cymbals one time to a, an all-star gig and uh, he was trying out ride cymbals and he turned to me and he said, you know, um, <laughs> something to the effect of, you know, Pasty makes some pretty nice cymbals too. And, <laughs> and he kind of winked at me and I said, yeah, 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 I know they do. I know they do. And, but but I had heard maybe from Jeff Chonis or someone that he had gifted you some of his old cymbals. But my point to that is on the get back documentary you're going to see a peisty 602 20 inch medium ride oh yeah that i'm very familiar with that symbol i i okay. used to yeah i saw that i never see when i was early on in those days i didn't like peisty symbols i didn't like the idea of a peisty symbol yeah. uh, wow yeah. zildjian was the the shit i mean that was you know that was my that was, you know, that was that was everybody's thing. I mean, that's what that's what any, every, anybody that was anybody played. I didn't know anything about a Peisty symbols, and uh, but when I saw Ringo set, he had that Peisty, and it sounded beautiful. And uh, wow! And I think that was the beginning of my having a little more respect for for whoever they were. And then when they, you know, and I, honest to God, do not remember how that how they came into my life and how that became a thing. But now I love them so much. They're, they're like a huge part of my life, man. They, 
They, it's like DW, you know, every time yeah, I say sure. something to DW, Don goes and makes it, you know, or yeah, just yeah. any kind of little idea. They'll make the freaking thing, you know, and then I get, because I mentioned it, I get to have the one, the main one, and it's fantastic. And that's the same thing with the Pisces, you know. I've, wow. I've mentioned yeah. just a few things about the symbol, this or that, like a size, a thing, a whatever. And and within a week or so, I've got one. And that's, uh, and I, I love like treatment endorser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I've I've just they've they've made my life uh, unbelievable because I love thin symbols and all, all my Zildjians that I ever played, uh, I never could get them thin enough. Mm. And uh, yeah, you told me this. I remember. Now they make them for me so thin. It's just you know and that's uh, great. But. Uh, but well, in, any, in any case, John, I, I hate to tell you that, no, I think that's an inaccurate story. I don't. Uh, OK, I never. You know, Ringo is, is extremely generous and he's he's been unbelievably generous to me in, in, in so many ways. But no, I don't have any of his symbols. OK, well, I'm, I'm glad I asked that question. I, I just want to mention that Anton and Pete and Aaron will tell you that when I worked for Zildjian, I, I would do the same thing for them. I just. Oh, let's get that. <laughs> Hey, is this still in? Is this, is this like still a thing? Is it's still a thing. So I, I'm I'm going to just read. I want to read something Charlie Drayton sent me. Um, he had to go to soundcheck. Charlie's on tour with Bob Dylan right now, and right. he he had a little bit of a bad connection in his room, and it was time to go. And he just said, uh, "Love to you for bringing us all together in this conversation." Charlie's brushstrokes are poetic and one of a kind. He provided something to feel, which is more beneficial to the soul than any set of youthful chops could ever muster. Charlie lives on. That's it. Charlie Drayton. That's it. Uh, yep. yeah. Charlie Drayton. Yep. Also a bad son of a gun. Bad son of a gun. But gentlemen, I want to thank you all so much for being here today. Um, this is great. This, this is not live, so it's taped. I'll, uh, I'll put it up on YouTube later, and I'll send you guys the link. And uh, I hope you had fun. I, I, this has been... I'm going to pinch myself when I'm done doing this. So thank yeah, you guys well, so much. Uh, thanks for putting it together, man. Oh, you're welcome, Anton. What are you going to yeah. say, Jim? Thanks yeah, it's an, an honor. It's an honor. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, really nice to meet you, Aaron. These guys I know, all you know, John and, and uh, Anton and Pete, and I love them dearly. And, and now you're one of us. Okay. So welcome. Thank you for all the inspiration. Just, you know, years, years ago, the only connection I had um, through somebody else was I was playing at the Greek theater in LA. I think this was like 94 and my teacher in Dallas, who was Rick Latham. I studied with him when I was a kid. Sure. You, you had sent your regards through Rick to say hello to me. And that just made my life, wow. you know? So, oh, yeah. well, you. you know, you, you, you did it. You made us pay attention, man. So, uh, Thanks for everything, oh, all of you guys. I'm just going to warn the four of you guys. You might want to change your phone numbers and email addresses because I'm going to ask you to be on a future uh, show with me by yourself, uh, live right. from my drum room. So love, love you, Johnny. You. Yeah. You love you, bro. Thank, thank you, Jim. Love uh, you guys. All right, all right, gentlemen. We'll hang tight for one second. I'm going to end the stream and then I'm going to I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. So thank you guys so much. Okay, Jim Keltner, Aaron Comis. Anton Fig and Pete Thomas. Oh. Thanks, you guys.